This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. After a few weeks off for the holidays, we are back. With 2022 now in the rearview mirror, we thought it would be fun to look back at it by discussing the top news stories of the movie world. I thought we can start with maybe a brief recap of this podcast, and that is we produced 47 episodes in the calendar year, which is pretty crazy since it feels like we took several breaks throughout uh, the year, but only ended up missing five weeks without a show. It was the most we ever produced, surpassing the 44 shows we made in both 2021 and 2020. We conducted six interviews across four shows. We did 10 episodes of our A24 retrospective, covered five film festivals, did three Better Know contributors, did two Make Remakes, one A History Of, and made our very first video podcast. It was an exciting year, capped off with us joining the That Shell family of podcasts, and started a coffee account for fans of the pod to help us produce better content for those that want to give us a little tip. How's that all sound to you, Rachel? That's very interesting when you put it all, like when you lay it all like that, like in in a such successive order. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> it sounds like we did a lot. It doesn't really... It doesn't feel like it, though. Like, it doesn't feel like we did that much, but that's cool. I, I love that we did so many of the A24 ones, though. That actually sounds accurate. I, You know, we did do quite a bit of those. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I sometimes I wonder, I'm like, man, how do how did I fill the schedule with show ideas? Like, <laughs> I remember it just being such a struggle all the time, and now I'm like, I don't know what to do. We're doing, a, we're doing an A24 retrospective. Yeah. Easy. Well, you just let you let like the cat out of the bag that whenever we don't have an idea, just just do an A twenty four episode. Yeah, well, like I don't want to call it filler episodes, but like there's well over a hundred A twenty four films, yeah. and every year they seem to make more and more of them. So, like, if we want to get through this list, we I think you know we did ten this year, but I think we've only done like fifteen in total. Like, yeah, we're a long ways off. I would like to say I'd like to do more make remake episodes. Those are fun to do. Yeah, yeah. I always try to like those are tough because like yeah. you need to kind of plan them in advance, and it's it's a struggle because if it's if it's coming out to streaming, it makes it super easy. But if it's coming out in theaters, then you know you and I both have to see it and see it like within the first week or two for it to still be relevant. Because we don't like I don't know I don't really want to do a make remake of a movie from last year that came out like six months earlier because what's really the point of that? But I don't know. Maybe maybe people do want that. I don't know. Well, I would say, I mean, I brought this up to you before, but the um, the movie Living. It's on the schedule. It's coming out. When is that? Next week, I think it's coming out. Or maybe yeah, it's later. coming out uh, yeah, end of January. Yeah, or something in like Canada that. anyway. Uh, yeah, that's when it's coming if you, out. Uh, if you check our schedule document, uh, it's on the list. Yeah, no, haven't haven't looked at it. Won't lie. <laughs> haven't checked it in like a month. <laughs> Even when we said we're doing the A24 next week, I was like, oh, that's a surprise to me. That's great. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I was like, let's go. Yeah. We actually, I actually have uh, the whole schedule planned out through uh, the end of the Oscars. Oh, I should take a look at that. Yeah. I'll take a look. Yeah, I'll maybe. take a look and know. see what's going on. <laughs> You're about to be on a uh, ContraZoom vacation if you want. <laughs> I've been on a vacation for from just everything. I, my mind has been <laughs> blank for the last month. <laughs> now, uh, everyone's been kind of been doing their like best of the year list and stuff like that. Uh, if you know this show, uh, it's you know a point of uh, laughter for some people, including you, Rachel. I wait until after the Oscars because there's so many movies to catch up on, and a lot of them don't get distribution until like 2022, anyways. And so I, I, I don't know. I sort of struggle with like how to place movies that are playing in festivals and get limited release in 2020. 
22, but don't get wide release until 23. And so I can still count them as 22 movies. How, how do you sort of uh, make your best of the year lists? I think I'm in a bit of a different position from you because I probably, I oddly probably, I think this year I've seen more movies than you know, even though I don't have the letterbox to prove it. Um, but <laughs> I think that I, I actually more or less, I, I've seen most of the stuff that my guess is that will be in the Oscars that will be kind of, and, and that's from other things that we don't need to discuss here, but like, yeah, it's, it's, I think I've done pretty well. I've got my top 10 together. I haven't yet done a post on it, but I will eventually. And um, I think I'm, I am missing out maybe a couple movies that I'm going to check out this week before I make it official official, but yeah, pretty much my top 10s all together. I would say, I think it's pretty, and I like it. I'm very happy with my top 10. Nice. Yeah, you, you you have a bit of a added luxury of being able to get screeners either through your own accord, through your own relationships, or stuff with uh, Exclaim or That Shell for the Asian cut. So you have a bit more avenues, whereas for me, it's pretty much like, well, if I can get it myself, then I can get it myself. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not seeing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a massive advantage on that, to be fair. Like, I mean, um, especially after doing joining TFCA, I think that that's been a big one because they've been trying to get us into screenings ahead of time so that we can vote for the awards there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a luxury I'm willing to accept because it's quite fun to being able to watch all these movies and have a reason to watch them. Yeah, I'm always jealous when uh, when people are talking about the screeners or uh, when they get the packages, especially uh, people like Thomas who like will, will post the swag that he gets. I'm just mm. like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, one day. You'll get there one day. Don't worry. Will I? I, I feel like I need to actually cover more new movies to actually do that. <laughs> My thing with those swag boxes, though, is... Like, what do you do with all that stuff? <laughs> like, yeah. to me, there's some things that are kind of cool. And, like, um, I know there's, there's like, food and stuff in that. So th- that's good. But there's a lot of junk. Maybe this is not helping my my uh, <laughs> my ability to get more sweat. But to be honest, I, I, I don't like having a lot of, like, random knickknacks around. So, um, yeah, those things are – as much as I pre- – I like getting the – one thing I'll say, I like getting the discs. Like, I, I like getting mm-hmm. hard, hard copies of – um, I was actually talking with Matthew Simpson about this and we were laughing that like some of the discs ahead of time, they have that warning of um, like, don't copy this. This is just for your consideration and just for your viewing kind of thing. And one of them, I can't remember which movie it was, but they said like, after you're done watching, snap the disc in half <laughs> and like throw it away. I was like, who's going to yeah. do that? Yeah. Uh, no. I won't do that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's wasteful. It's very wasteful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but those, I those are the things that I think I appreciate getting more than you know, like a coffee table book or, or yeah, stuff like that. Like I, I like getting the discs because it makes it. I don't know. It's it's nice being able to just pop something into your Blu-ray player versus having to hook up your computer or whatever. These are all little random niggles that I have, but. Um, yeah, but I, I did see Thomas got, gets a lot of the Netflix stuff. Um, yeah. And then I, the Pinocchio coffee table book, I have to admit, is very beautiful. So that's a cool thing to get. Swag topic aside, let's maybe get back on topic a little bit uh, and talk about some of the biggest news stories of the year. We, we kind of came up with a little list of some of the interesting stuff. Uh, neither of us are really interested in the celebrity gossip or drama so you're not going to hear us talking about the johnny depp amber heard trial because that's just nonsense and has nothing to do with actual movies and and is just stupid frankly uh (laughs) (laughs) 
so that's my thoughts on that. But you won't you won't hear us talk about anything like that. Uh, we don't really care about relationships and, and, and shit like that. So because that's all that is, and just gossip and nonsense. So none of that really matters. I will say I'm just gonna stop. I delve into a little bit of gossip every now and then. I don't mind a bit of hot gossip. I, the Johnny Depp stuff, though, I didn't touch that because to me that that's not gossip. Like that should not be gossip, and it was turned into gossip. That's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But I really resented how um, reality show driven that became because I'm like, that's a really serious case that was up there, and it got turned into. And I already saw um, a commercial for some like movie that they made out of it for Tubi. Oh god. Yeah, I was like, this is I I find that ridiculous. Like I really don't like that. But um other hot goss though, I'm I'm into it. I know we're gonna get into it, but like the don't worry darling stuff, I was very, very much into it. That's that's the only one (laughs) that we're gonna talk about. And and for two reasons, and we'll kind of get to yeah. that later. Um, but yeah, let's let's start off. And I think the, the most interesting thing of the past year was sort of the uh the resurgence of horror as a mainstream genre has really taken off. And you know, you talk to horror fans, they'll they'll either say two things: horror either is never left, or uh, horror never gets the respect it deserves. You know, there there only seems to be two camps of horror fans. Um, but this year, there was like some some legit. I feel like resurgence of the horror genre. And I think the biggest one to talk about is the success of Terrifier 2. Now, to 99% of movie fans, you probably have never heard of this movie. You never will. But like, what you need to know about this movie is this is a super, super low-budget horror movie made for a couple hundred thousand, which is peanuts for today, and grossed a few million dollars. And once again, that sounds like nothing, but this is a movie that made... I think it's like, you know, 50 times its original budget back, which is absolutely insanity for a mo- any movie these days and makes it one of the, the most successful movies on a cost per uh, gross ratio, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, but then, you know, you have tons of other movies like Barbarian, Smile, Scream 5, Fresh, Nope. X and Pearl men, all of which did quite well at the box office and kind of sort of dominated a lot of movie discussions this year, which was pretty crazy in my mind. Uh, and, and nice to see that genre is making a, a pretty big comeback. Yeah. I like that, you know, growing up in the late nineties ish horror definitely had its like scream. Funny enough was part of that yep. as well. And like, um, I, so I remember those horror movies very, very fondly. And I like that now it kind of feels like we're back into that stage it's not necessarily like 70s slasher phase of horror although i mean x and pearl kind of to me recall a lot of those um 70s movies which is really cool um but i love that there's there's a lot of new takes on it and i think that it's been slowly building like i think it's jordan peels and the ari asters of the world have definitely been making horror something a little bit different and you know, like you said, horror heads are always like, oh, horror doesn't get the the credit it deserves, which is true. But I think that with with those movies like um, Heritage, Hereditary, Midsommar, uh, Get Out, obviously those ones, I think that that made it like that pushed horror into, this sounds really snobby, but like it pushed horror into like an auteur kind of realm mm-hmm. in, in film. Um, and I think that that helped it out a lot quite a bit and then so when you have movies like barbarian and smile and fresh which are not complete like i don't think that they do what 
Get Out did to to the genre. Um, but they are like really nice updates of that late nineties horror that I like so much. Um, so I, I think it's amazing. Like I love that this year horror just took over. Um, I think that that's really fantastic. And also it was like different types of horror, like different horror for different people, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, absolutely. And what what you're kind of talking about, you know, a friend of the show, Callum McNabb from mm-hmm. Scare Traducing excellent horror podcast if you like horror movies definitely check out that show because it's always insightful he just put out his best horror movies of the year episode uh so definitely check that one out uh he uses the term elevated horror which is not something he obviously came up with but his sort of uh hatred towards that because it sort of allows people who are not horror fans maybe people like myself you 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 would probably call that who who don't like to really foray into some of the 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 grittier grimier aspects of horror and instead like it if there is a message or an analogy uh, the stuff that like you know hereditary midsommar or the ilk of that kind of do um where you know it's you know hoity-toity and and not necessarily (laughs) real horror and stuff like that and of the list i would say men is probably the only one that i mentioned that sort of falls into that category of you know oh this is an analogy for something else um which was you know quite on the nose as you've talked about a few times rachel of you not being a fan of of men this year uh but yeah overall i i agree there there was sort of like a wide range of, of horror movies and like i know it's not my type of movie but i am quite curious about terrifier too um especially since you apparently don't need to watch the first one to uh, follow along of uh did you watch that one at all or no i haven't seen it no i mean it is one of those things that's impressive i find it really impressive when these like little tiny movies can and i i will give a shout out to skin rink which is kyle edward ball mm, another one yeah. yeah his movie's coming out um so it premiered in fantasia and it's coming out in theaters and on shutter uh end of this month january mid-january i think um but there i love this idea of like these little little tiny movies that literally have lived because of social media like that's how they that's how the word of mouth spread around was because horror fans picked up on this on these movies and then um, it just caught like wildfire and it, it caught everybody's attention. Like I love that Terrifier 2 caught caught fire so quickly and it just seemed like everybody, even if you weren't into horror like yourself, like you you knew about it and you were talking about it. But like you said, it, it, it is still kind of niche. Like, you know, you say like 99% of people probably don't know what it is. Um, and I would say the same thing for Skin Marink, but the fact that there are a good amount of people looking to get it, like, wanting to watch it trying to seek these movies out i think that that's pretty and then not just to say about um horror either like there's always been talk about how comic book movies are taking over cinemas and and all this kind of stuff and it's only big budget things that that kind of work now and there's no more room for the middle um so i think it's really great when you see these little tiny movies picking up steam um and which is also say what you will about twitter like it is important for marketing and advertising for indie um, people creatives as well so yeah i I think it's phenomenal that movies like that have been have been making such an impact um in the way that they have yeah it's one of those things where i know we've both sort of discussed this on the show when uh matt damon gave that interview and he sort of talked about the Mm -hmm. death of uh, the mid-budget film Mm -hmm. and i feel like we're slowly getting a bit of a rise of the low-budget film yeah 
able to be profitable again, which is so nice because like you, you, you're always going to have, you know, filmmakers making micro budget films because, you know, they're trying to make their calling card to get noticed and things like that. And they'll play at a few festivals and never really see the light of day. But it's nice that we're finally getting some of these, you know, low to mid budget films be somewhat successful again, which is great. Yeah. And, and that's, um, although I was going to say it's a film festival, um, like a pound and back for film festivals as well, but I don't think terrifier two made it to a film festival. I think it just like, I think that was actually incredibly unique that it just ended up blowing up the way that it did. Yeah. I know it played a couple film festivals as like a midnight screening sort of thing. It it played one in Vancouver. I think it was, it was called like VHS festival, which was like Vancouver or something or other. I don't know. Uh, but it was, it was more like, Hey, this movie has been making the circuit for the last two months. And we've got a screening here in Vancouver at like an actual art house theater at the Rio, uh, come out and see it. And I think people from the crew might've been there or or something. Mm. I don't know exactly. Uh, But like, yeah, it wasn't like it was like it premiered at Fantasia, you know, it, uh, it played Sundance. It it did this, it did that. It, It didn't. Right. That that's really like that's amazing. Like this little tiny budget it got it joined a festival because of the hype that it was already receiving versus yeah. getting the hype from the festival, which mm-hmm. which is the the route that Skinamarink took. Um Yes. So, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I think it's it's amazing. And I hope that we start seeing I mean, I know this coming year there's gonna be a f- few more horror movies, um, and some of them look pretty, pretty awesome. So I'm I'm interested to see especially like what a younger generation is going to do of filmmakers that that what they're going to do with the with the genre because i think it's i think it's in very good hands so people like callum and can are can they can rest easy that their favorite genre mm-hmm. is going to be doing well for a while yeah it's it, we're finally at the point now where the people that were raised on social media are now like adults mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know, know how to use the system. It's like, like it's, you know, not to get like too political or something like that, but like, it's always like funny when, you know, politicians are trying to engage with young people and like the young people just know how to use social media so much better. It's like, you can't, you can't come at people who like were molded on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I I know nothing about how to use social media. I'm really bad at it. So, and like, and it is, I, I see, um, I was talking to the girl who does um, Sydney, who does the social media for exclaim. I was like, how do you do it? I was like, how do you do this? I just, and I like copy a lot of her stuff of like how she formats things. But cause I'm just like, I just don't, I don't have a pulse on how to use social media the best way because we were kind of in that generation that was caught in between. Like we did have it when we were younger, mm-hmm. but not, not like, preteen age like we didn't have it at that because it didn't exist back then obviously like the internet yeah. barely existed back then um god that makes it sound really old but it, <laughs> but but it's true like we we were kind of that weird hybrid phase where we had one foot in one foot out um but you're right it's entirely different for a generation that they've only ever known having one the internet at their disposal like that's been there since they were young um and then these different platforms of social media whether it was facebook or um twitter you know instagram all that kind of stuff and tiktok obviously uh but yeah it's it's incredible what young people are doing with social media i would like to learn from them that's actually one thing i'm going to do this year i'm going to try to take a course on social media see if i can figure out how to do it okay grandma i know it's terrible i can't (laughs) believe like i've already fallen behind on like because i've like i've always been very good with like keeping up with technology and then I've, i've already after snapchat came out i was like oh i'm done I'm finished. I can't do this anymore. 
That's funny. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not on Snapchat. <laughs> I don't think it uh, exists anymore, Snapchat, does it? Yeah, it does. It does. Oh, wow. Okay. I with, uh, some people in their early 20s, and, and that's their primarily really? uh, way to message people. Wow. I thought, I thought yeah. Snapchat was gone. Nope. Interesting. Nope. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, okay. Continuing on, uh, I'm talking about another movie that was quite successful, although this one's a bit harder to track, and that is the uh, surprise hit of RRR being a word-of-mouth giant on Netflix. Uh, if, if people don't know what this movie is, but it's a, uh, it's an Indian film. Um, and I believe the language is Telugu. I, I'm, I'm apologize. I don't have it in front of me if I'm uh, mispronouncing it there, but it's not a Hindi language film. Uh, but yeah, it was a huge hit on Netflix. I remember when it kind of showed up, I was just like, what is this movie? And then now like almost everyone's talking about how it was like they're in their top 10 movies of the year, which is absolutely crazy considering it's three hours long, it's this giant epic that spans a, a long period of time. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a huge hit on uh, on Netflix and, and internationally. And you look at the box office, it made uh, $11 million uh, in North America and $91 million in the rest of the world, which is just crazy. This is a $100 million movie buoyed in- entirely by an international audience. I think so. I I can't speak for obviously the other territories, but I know in Toronto, like um, Cineplex and the big chains didn't pick it up. Um, what how it got screenings here was for like from from private cinemas, like independent cinemas. They were picking it up and getting the distribution to show it in Toronto. And obviously, if if anyone's familiar with Toronto, there's a very very quite a big South Asian community here, um, but. It, like you said, it wasn't actually just the South Asian community that was clinging. Like everybody seemed to be on this one, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's. I don't know if another Bollywood movie has really made it like this. Like obviously Bollywood, they churn out hundreds of movies a year, and many of them are incredibly successful. But this seems to be the first that I can think of that kind of came to the West and was a huge deal to not like for outside the South Asian community. It really made some waves there. Um, have you seen it? RRR? I have not. No, I was really hoping to catch up with it before we recorded, but yeah. I just didn't have because it is three hours long, it uh, is, but I do still want to watch it. It is the most bonkers movie. <laughs> like it's the most excessive thing I've ever seen. And like, I was talking to some um, Jonah actually who on, uh, on who I met on Twitter and, and I chat with, um, he was asking me about it. And I was like, you need to be in the right headspace for this movie. Like you really need to be in the mood for something so over the top and ridiculous. Like it is not something to really take seriously. It is just, and I, I don't mean that in a flippant way either. Um, but it's just something that you need to, to be in the headspace for something very excessive. You know, like there's it, the shots in it aren't, just ridiculous like every every few minutes you think okay this is as nuts as this movie is gonna get and then like 10 minutes later it goes somewhere completely berserk that you just aren't expecting um but it's it's a really really fun wild ride and i'll i'll like i'll point this out i can't really speak to this too much but i have had some um south asian friends who have pointed out to me that like there's a lot of propaganda in this movie which is obvious i think like there's a lot of um literal wave flagging um in the movie but there is kind of another subtext going on which 
to my understanding, has become a bit of an issue over in India, um, which is pot- partly why I think it's done better outside of India than it has domestically um, for them. So I know that there's a lot of kind of political discussion as well about the movie, um, which I'm not going to get into because I'm not nearly well educated enough on it. Yeah, uh, like it's it's definitely there's obviously certain countries, if a movie comes out of there, you kind of need to look at it with uh, a bit of a grain of salt of like, okay, what, what is the message that this mm-hmm. country is trying to make? You know, uh, something like anytime uh, a movie comes from mainland China, you, you sort of have to look at it in the same sort of lens of like, okay, so what's the angle here? I, I'm going to watch and enjoy it, but like, you're probably saying something else here that I, I'm probably missing that is directed to a certain audience. Well, I'll say that Hollywood movies do that too, though. I mean, Top Gun, we're going to talk about Top Gun later, but like Top Gun absolutely does that. Um, Even, what was it? I think it was Captain Marvel even. That had some uh, money thrown at it from the American military or the Navy or something like that. So it's like, it it does happen all, I shouldn't say all around the world. I can't think of the last time Canada did some sort of, (laughs) I don't think we really have that in us though, to do something like that. But like, it's it, it is such a common thing to do and but you're like I, but i think that's kind of the important thing is like you said is to be critical of everything that you watch like it is fun and you know don't take it too seriously but there are other elements involved like if you want to dig deeper into a movie like rrr um there's a lot of i believe some really interesting kind of political commentary in there um which probably goes over the head of a lot of people and not to say it's because people are dumb it's just because when you watch it you'll understand why (laughs) because it's just it's so over the top that you just don't think that there could be anything else to it other than this is just really fun to watch um yeah like a guy throws a motorcycle at one point it's great it's great (laughs) like it's just there's like tigers and lions like just it's it's amazing um and there's a i I kind of don't want to spoil it for you, but I kind of do at the same time. So there is an interval. They put an intermission in the, in the middle of the movie. And when it happens, they, they put like a big thing. It says interval. And then the R's are three R's. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought it was really amusing when they did that. Um, but yeah, it's a great time though. It's, and I can see why I didn't watch it in theaters. I watched it at home. Um, but I can see that watching this in a movie theater, especially like a late night screening, um, would be incredibly fun to do because it's just a berserk movie. And there's a lot of John Woo influences, I'll say that. Like you can you can see a bit nice. of the John Woo excess is in there as well. Well, good. That's uh I I am very excited to watch it and I do plan to watch it before so that way uh I can't leave I can't leave this type of movie off of my viewing schedule before I make my best movies of the year list, basically. And I'll say too, for people who are worried about like the three hour runtime, honestly, it doesn't feel like three hours. I'll say that much. Like it doesn't, it never really felt like it was like a slog to get through. This year has been a lot of long movies. Um, yeah. Like a lot of two and a half to three hour movies. And some of them you can really, really feel it. And I mean, I've watched like 90 minute movies that felt like, oh, they felt like they were going on forever. But, um, but this one, I felt like it was just because it's so much like there's so much fast-paced stuff it just doesn't feel like you don't feel antsy i don't oh i didn't anyways i don't feel antsy watching it um whereas other ones i definitely felt a little bit antsy and there's an intermission and i i think more movies need to put intermissions we need to do that again excellent good to know 
Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next story, which is a bit more of a, a sadder one. Uh, and this is Bruce Willis, who has decided to retire from acting due to his diagnosis of aphasia, which aphasia is a disorder that affects how you communicate. And it usually happens after you have a heart attack or a stroke. But basically, it will eventually render Bruce Willis unable to communicate with words at all, which is really tragic. And it sort of puts into context a bit of where his career has been at in recent years, because he sort of talked about just doing movies for paydays. And if you look at IMDb, the man has hundreds of movies that you have never heard of before. And most of them have come out in like the last five or so years because he really he legitimately will put out about 10 movies a year and you're like where are these movies who is producing them who is watching them all this sort of stuff and i remember watching a video where someone ranked every bruce willis movie from a recent year and he's like the common denominator is he's usually only in a few scenes he's usually sitting down behind a desk and he's alone in the scene usually either talking on a phone or uh talking to someone off camera who you don't see in the same shot so obviously it's all, all kind of been done uh with like one person one camera set up all in the same day sort of thing and he just like kind of bangs these out and it was like, well, wh- why is he doing this? You know, you look back and like, he's legitimately a good actor sometimes. And, you know, he's always <laughs> had a history of he's uh, a bit difficult to work with and things like that. So, you know, maybe that's why he, his career kind of slowed down, but, uh, he apparently is doing these movies specifically to kind of make as much money as possible to leave it for his family after he goes, because he knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. And apparently he's known that he's had to retire for a few years now and is just trying to do as much as possible. But, uh, but it truly is sad, especially since like, you know, go look at his filmography and the, like the last notable thing that I see that he did was, uh, he had a cameo in the between two ferns movie, which I guess isn't really that, um, he was in an adaptation of motherless Brooklyn that wasn't really well received. Glass was probably his last actual hit movie. Uh, but that was in 2019. Yeah. It's, it- it's one of the, like I I mean I was we were just talking about um feeling kind of old because of the internet like this kind of thing also makes me like to know that the stars that we grew up with are starting to get un- become unwell and uh, you know eventually they're going to start passing away and stuff like that that is something that kind of takes me back because to me Bruce Willis he was I mean he started off before I would say we were like of age to know who mm-hmm. he was so he's just always been around like Bruce Willis just always been around and you know, like you said, he he was doing all these things that were what we used to call like direct to video. I guess now it's direct to, to digital is what they call it now. But like, it was always kind of sad to see because everyone was thinking, "What's he doing?" You know, like yeah. usually when that happens, um, I hate to say it, it's usually what happens is like after somebody um, has like a really big divorce or something like that, <laughs> then they need to do a bunch of these movies. You go, but he's married. Like he he he's not him and Demi Moore got divorced a long time ago. Like it's not a big deal anymore. Um, so it was, it was always a, a, a big question mark and it's interesting to me that like the timing of it as well was really interesting because when it started making a bit of waves on Twitter that somebody said, Do, does anybody realize how many movies Bruce Willis was in last year? And everyone's obviously like, no, how many movies could he have been in? Like, we didn't even know he was in one. And then you go and look at his IMDb and it's filled. It's just got so many credits to it from one year alone that none of us really noticed. 
And then everyone started making their jokes and poking fun and blah, blah, blah. And then a few months later, it comes out, actually, it's incredibly sad, the reason that he went and did all these movies and um, has, uh, um, as you said, just been kind of searching for a payday. So it's, yeah, it's it's very, very, I don't know, it's it's a weird thing when people you don't even know, like we obviously don't know Bruce Willis, but it it kind of it just it gets you a little bit because you go oh like i grew up with this guy like he he's uh-huh. he's 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 uh he's john mcclane he, you know he's he's all this, these people and and now to think that you know we're not going to see another movie from him especially like a mainstream movie we won't see that from him and um but you know for anybody who's watched babylon um and has this idea in their head right now it's like he will always kind of live on in movies because every time anybody at christmas time turns on die hard um, like there's Bruce again in his prime and glory. So yeah, but I, it's, it is very, very sad. Um, but I'm glad that we have a massive amount of movies to look back on him for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of thing where he, he's probably not going to pass away anytime soon, but he mm-hmm. just kind of kind of disappear from the yeah. public eye. Which I like, I, I like when actors, uh, Gene Hackman was another one that kind of appeared again. Um, Cause he just very quietly retired. Right. And he just, didn't really make a big fuss about it. He just stopped working. Um, and then it kind of pops up that he's been a painter for the last what, 15, 20 years or something like that. And he looks really happy. So I think that it's nice when, when actors are able to just kind of step away and quietly do their own thing. Um, obviously I know for him, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, it's a bit more forced, I would assume than he probably would have wanted it to be, but you know, I, I hope I, I also had like, have you seen some of the Instagram posts from, I think from Demi Moore, like it's very sweet. Like they're all together and they all hang out. And I think that that's really nice. Yeah. His family definitely seemed to have rallied around him and mm-hmm. sort of presented this united front of like, you know, we're here for Bruce, the person, not Bruce, the movie star. Exactly. Yeah. I I saw um, John Travolta posted something about it. And I was like, Oh, that made me really sad. Cause, Cause John Travolta, obviously he lost a number of people last year too. So I, yeah, I yeah. thought that was very sweet of him to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, now moving on, the the next kind of two topics are are kind of connected in a way, uh, but either way, it's a lot to unpack, and I don't think we're going to be able to do this story justice, but I think either way is something that kind of needs to be talked about because it's a, a huge part of the industry, and that's the sort of shakeup of DC, of the Warner brothers and discovery merger and all that sort of stuff that's happening. And that's um, the first part of the, the first prong of the story is a guy named David Zaslav who became the head of the Warner discovery post their merger and basically canceling everything saying that uh, Warner is in huge amount of debts. I, I think I read something about like they, they owe 10 billion in debt and they were only able to pay off 2 billion after this merger with discovery money and all this sort of stuff. And so they're, they're doing things like canceling fully completed movies to do tax write-offs. And that's included two movies. One of them being Batgirl, which was literally completely done. And the other one being uh scoob two, which I think was about to go to uh, being scored and sound mixing it and sort of the, the final touches and all that sort of stuff, but it already been, uh, animated in the voiceovers had been done. And both of those have been just completely axed and will literally never see the light of day um, because they, they cannot see that. Otherwise they, they will lose whatever write off they try to do. But then it's things like cleaning up the HBO streaming service because they've got a whole bunch of product on there that 
isn't being watched enough to justify the server costs to uh, to host it, basically, which is completely wild that a company is just so willing to uh, give up on its property and, and, and just like be like, well, it's gone. And that sort of then creates a whole other discussion about the idea of uh, physical media versus digital media. What do you actually own when you are you know, subscribe to a streaming service, what you have access to all this sort of stuff, because, you know, it seems like every week there'll be like a, a popular Twitter post of being like, Hey, do you remember this popular movie? You can't stream it anywhere and you can't buy a Blu-ray of it. And it's just like, uh, wow, what, what is, what's the state of film preservation? If, if that can be a thing that happens still, um, so it was, so it was absolutely wild. And it seemed like every day there was like a new crazy story that was coming out about this. Was this one that you had kind of been following along with Rachel? Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm vastly interested in like the business side of show business as much as I love movies, but like the, the business side of things, it just, it's endlessly fascinating to me because I, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, you, know, you go watch a movie and you love it and you love the characters, you love the story, you love, you know, the filmmaking technical stuff behind it. But then at the end of the day, it's like, it is just part, it is a product, um, which maybe we don't really want to admit that sometimes when we're talking about art, but it is a product. Like we've commercialized um, art as a, just a general thing, like a- anything in art these days. And, and it's very sad that that's the case. Um, but it's it's like any other business out there that has to operate and they have to look at you know, the, the PNL and, and see how it works. But this to me was such a, it, it really seemed like I just didn't get it at first. And like, and without knowing the full financial side of it, like, I don't think that we have all of the information that they have um, for good reasons, obviously, but without knowing all that, it just seemed like such a strange decision that, especially for Batgirl, it's like, it's done, it's ready, it's ready to go. And people were really looking forward to it as well, actually. Like, I think people were really interested to see what mm-hmm. was going to, um, what Leslie Grace was going to do. And cause like, there was a lot of early hype that, Hey, like the, they had already screened it too, like for audience test, like test, test audiences, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And it done decently well, like not gangbusters, but it had done well. And, and so there were pretty positive talk about it. And then for them to just completely scrap it with not even saying, oh, it's not going to get a theatrical. It's just going to go to streaming, which that already is kind of like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like a bad yeah. girl movie isn't going to go to theaters. But then when they said, no, you're never going to see it. I just thought that's it's such a, a strange, strange business decision that I mean, it must make sense to them because they they obviously very well, we we presume smart people and they know what they're doing. Um, but it was such an odd you know, I'll, I'll actually share a funny thing in um, a little name drop here. When I, during TIFF, when I interviewed, um, we did a round table with Brendan Fraser and Samuel D. Hunter for The Whale. He made like a joke about um, Leslie Grace, not about Leslie Grace, but about Batgirl not finding, um, not, not being shown or something like that. Like he just made this like little joke about it. And none of us kind of laughed because it was kind of, it was just announced around that time. And so <laughs> we, we were just kind of like, oh, this is, we don't know what we're supposed to do here and then he went you guys can laugh it's okay like it's fine you know but and and he even said he goes i i I heard leslie grace is amazing and he goes i haven't seen it though so it it just sucks like it's it's not even just the 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 leslie graces of of who this should have been such a big opportunity for her um a ton of people work on movies and Mm -hmm. it sucks that like their hard work that like think a thing that they devoted 
at least a year to, especially the behind, like the crew, they devote so much time to it and it's never going to see the light of day. Like that really, really sucks to me. Like that more so than anything else um, is the thing that kind of sticks with me is that there's so many people whose hard work is never going to be seen now. And I don't know, like you can't even use that on your resume to show like, Hey, I worked on this because there's nothing to show. Um, And I, that to me is, yeah. But again, they must have a good reason for it. And, you know, I, I know you're about to get into the second prong of this, but it's like, hopefully they have a strategy ahead um, of what they're going to do to kind of fill this hole. And it seems like they're always on like a chase with Marvel, um, which i never thought was a really good idea because Marvel is so far ahead that there's no point trying to copy them, um, which they, they were doing for a really long time. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what like James Gunn and Peter, whatever his name is, what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think to sort of like the last thing about about this sort of stuff is it really seems like David Zaslav was brought in specifically to be a hatchet man. He was mm-hmm. he was said you're 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 going to come in, you're going to be the face of the bad decisions. We're going to pay you a lot of money, and then when this is all over and things have settled down and we're we're back on track, we're going to you know move you to a different department, give you a big buyout, and uh, and someone else gets to be the good guy again afterwards. And they're coming in to sort of save the day. That's what it really sort of yeah. seems like it is because you see this sort of stuff all the time especially with like big tech companies where they like come in they lay off like you know 30 percent of the staff they cut costs they they do a whole bunch of stuff and then they leave and then someone else comes in and be like hey i got all these great ideas because now they have money again and they can start spending money but they needed to do these really hard brutal decisions that impact a lot of people's lives yeah. and livelihoods uh in order to get back on track and, and that's obviously something that like most of us will literally never be able to comprehend having to do because you know as you just said Batgirl is completed you know and it's different from like you know the Pixar movies being unceremoniously dumped on Disney plus and we're all like aghast of like how could you do that to to this movie how could you do that to turning red that makes no sense how could you do that to this movie like this movie deserves to be seen in the theater instead it'd just be like yeah well instead you're just not gonna get to see it at all yeah it's 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 yeah, it's hard to come like the, the human element side of it is, you know, very, I, I can't imagine any of them. You'd have to be like a sociopath, right? To to not care about that kind of stuff. But so I mean, somebody yeah. had to do it. And um, it sucks. It just really sucks. But it's also amazing to think that a company as big as Warner's and, and HBO and them like they're they're losing money. Like, what are you guys talking about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're one of the biggest studios in the and not even it's just studio like they're a massive company in general um and yeah it's kind of nuts to think like oh you guys are losing money interesting and i I will point that this is another thing this is nothing to do with that but the fact that hbo max when they teamed up with discovery plus and now they're dropping the hbo because they don't want either of their names and and it's just gonna be called max like what? What are you guys doing? Like, why is it just yeah. being called Max now? Lots of business decisions that I'm glad I don't have to make and um, would never want to make, quite frankly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I hope that just they have a plan, and I hope that kind of things wrap up and it's a bit because. And the only reason I say that is because I I'm kind of sick of Disney owning and dominating everything. So. Yeah, having other studios like Universal's killing it right now. They're doing really, really well. I would actually say Paramount is very quietly doing quite well as well. Um, 
we need competition. Like we need these studios, these legacy studios to be doing well. Um, and if they're not doing well, then we need to make room for new ones. But um, it can't just be Disney all the time uh, because that makes things incredibly boring and stagnant and just, just not good. It's not good. Like it's never good when one, anybody in Canada knows this, like when you just have one or two large companies running everything, it's never a good thing um, for consumers or audiences in this case. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want Warners to do well um, just for the sake of competition, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then obviously, as we've alluded to, the second part of the story is DC, as you said, has long been sort of chasing Marvel and trying to replicate its stories as far as like success and bringing obscure characters that don't cost a lot of money to get the rights to, to become household names and all this sort of stuff and expand the brand and all this sort of things. And they've, they've had a couple different people in charge of the DC film world and none of them have been successful because they keep trying to chase something that is unobtainable. And, and despite people being like, no, just do your own thing. They keep trying to make it Marvel light. And it seems like they finally have found the people to run it. And that is James Gunn and Peter Safran. Uh, obviously James Gunn became involved in DC when he got fired from guardians of the galaxy volume three over some past inappropriate tweets and DC very quickly scooped him up for a, a reboot of the suicide squad, which, you know, was a huge success and led to him making peacemaker as well, which was also a huge success. And, um, despite the fact that he was hired back by um, Disney Marvel to do guardians three. And he, he did the, the holiday special as well for them and seems to be allowed to do both with no problem. Um, he is now the head of DC films. Uh, I think he's going to be doing more of the creative planning where Peter Safran is going to be more of the, um, the brains behind uh, the organization and, and money and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, uh, it seems interesting and, and, you know, along with doing a major shakeup there, they, they also announced, uh, quite a few things. They're not moving forward with a third Patty Jenkins, wonder woman movie, no more Ben Affleck as, as Batman. Uh, they are still for some godforsaken reason, keeping, uh, the flash movie with Ezra Miller in it. Uh, and they have decided to keep Aquaman, Jason Momoa at first before the James Gunn, Peter Safran news was announced. Henry Cavill was announced that he was coming back to do another Superman movie, as was evident by his uh, end credit cameo in Black Adam. And then as soon as James Gunn and Pierce Saffron got announced, uh, they announced that uh, Henry Cavill was no longer coming back as Superman because they were going in a different, younger direction. And it's just like, wow, what a, what a mouthful all that stuff is. It's But isn't it funny how we've spent maybe the last, how long would it have been, ten- 10, 10 years has it been that long um since like man of steel came out when did man of steel come out yeah probably 10 years at least now but it's so funny that we've spent that all this time like to varying degrees slagging off these like the very people that you're saying were like uh, henry cavill probably missed it because he was he, he's a very good superman we all know that but mm-hmm. people just haven't been liking those movies and then when they when they announced like hey we're we're clean slating it now everyone's like wait but but how are we going to know the end of it? Like there were a lot of people who didn't <laughs> like world um, wonder woman too, you know, like people were not happy with that movie. People loved wonder, the first wonder woman, but the second one didn't really hit. But then even when the third one gets pulled, everyone's like, but wait, like we wanted to see how that ended. But it was like, yeah, but you guys all said you hated the second one. 
And yeah. so I, f- I find that kind of funny because it is that idea of um, you don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> like, people are just like, wait, we're not going to see Ben Affleck anymore. Um, it's interesting. I, I've been, it, it, to me, this kind of dates back to the Snyder cut um, hoopla of, you know, what was going on at DC. Like they clearly had a bit of mismanagement, let's say over what they were going to do with the DC comics because, you know, they saw the success at Marvel and then they thought we got to replicate that. Um, but yeah, they didn't necessarily have to because Batman movies in particular have always been the thing. Like they've been, they, uh, well, actually I shouldn't say they were the ones who revitalized the comic book um, genre and movies. Cause that's probably an X-Men Spider-Man thing, but you mm. know, the Batman movies have been a, such a mainstay. Like they were kind of the first, yeah, I guess they were the first. Them and Superman would, would have been the first um, big kind of comic yeah. book movies that were made um, back in the day. And it, it's such a shame what has happened to those characters. Like you have a great actor like Henry Cavill, who I shouldn't say he's a great actor. He's a good actor. And he's he's very good, though, at Superman. Like I loved his Superman. I thought, and it's not even just the fact that he just looks like Superman, but that's just a physical thing. Um, But he just like embodied the character. And you could tell if you ever watched an interview with him, like he really enjoyed playing Superman. Like he had a lot of reverence for the character and for the history of it. And, you know, you don't always get that matchup. So it's a shame for me that he's the biggest one that I'm kind of sad that he never, he never got another Superman movie. Like he only had man of steel and then everything else was Batman and Superman justice league uh you know the little clip in um um, black adam like you said but he never got to do his own thing ever again and i was like that to me was always really crappy for him because he did deserve better for that like even wonder woman got two movies on her own um so yeah and and also we never got a ben affleck movie on his own either which i thought was because i actually i know it's a bit of a controversial thing but i actually thought ben affleck was a great batman and i would have loved to have seen him do his own standalone batman and i know he was um touted to direct one as well like write and direct one but that didn't work Mm -hmm. out either um and that obviously had something to do with the warner brothers side too because they were like it when they announced that i think he was pulling away it was creative differences which always reads the studio and the creative people just didn't get along um and they can't agree on something so yeah it's just a shame it's like a lot of wasted opportunity i think yeah, I, I think that's that's the best way to describe it. It just it seems like a lot of wasted opportunity. And a lot of the sentiments you just said, I, I echo. Like, I love the first Wonder Woman, hated the second woman, yeah. second Wonder Woman. Um, I thought Henry Cavill was a pretty good Superman, even if his movies were pretty flawed. I didn't mind Ben Affleck as Batman and was very curious about what a Ben Affleck written and directed movie would be, considering his track record is really damn good for the most part. Um like all this stuff you, you look at and you're just like, yeah, I, I like, I, I haven't seen all the DC movies. I, cause I've skipped quite a few of them because they just, they just don't, they just don't look good to me. And, and I'm sorry. And the, the Snyder cut thing was the most overblown nonsense <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And the fact that now basically anytime a movie comes out, and slightly underperforms or you get some sort of differing opinion of a director from a studio there starts this trend of like oh you need to release the director cut it's like no you don't need a director cut for every single movie sometimes the movie is just the movie and that was the best thing that could be and and i'm someone that agrees that 
the directors are usually the ones right, but also sometimes they're not right. And we won't, we don't really know that. So like, we don't need a stupid director's cut of everything <laughs> in a friggin' four hour Snyder cut of justice league. I don't need to see a four hour movie version of a movie that already sucked. Like it's just a longer version of a movie that sucked. I think to me, like I completely agree with you. I think that the Snyder cut thing was just so, it was so funny that it became fascinating to me. I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, cause if you, if you try to wade into the Snyder cut territory online too, like you will get ripped to shreds if you say anything. Oh, God. Negative. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but on just like the topic of director's cuts, like some director's cuts I enjoy, like the Midsommar director cut. I remember liking that one. I thought that was interesting, but I can also see why it got cut. And then, there what was that ed norton movie he directed it um and he was in it i can't remember the name of it but i just remember watching it and thinking he needed somebody to tell him he shouldn't be doing all of this stuff like he needed somebody to say no mr norton this is not like we should not be doing this we should be doing this instead or you should cut this or you should edit it this way and like you'd need someone to rein you in sometimes because if you don't like directors are they're fallible creatures they're not just because you know, even Chris Nolan or like Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg or Martin Scorsese, like Quentin, Tar- like the best to do it, they need good people around them to lend a second eye, a third eye, a fourth eye. Um, and that's how you get great movies because it's never just a singular vision. It, it's a, it's the vision of a ton of people working together. And that's what a good director does is listen to a lot of different people. Now I won't say that the justice cut Joss Whedon's version I, cause I, I, I will admit, I think that that was a bit of a unique situation. It's not a normal, yes, it was, Oh, you know, the director's cut, like the, the studio interview is like, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in that. And so I, I kind of understood where the desire to see a, the, the quote unquote Snyder cut came from. Um, but you're right. It, it kind of snowballed into this very odd thing of, um, like I know uh, the you mentioned Suicide Squad, like the air. A lot of people talk about the air cut, like David Ayer's cut. Oh my god! Cut. But no. he he kind of perpetuates it because he went and he goes. That's the version that went out is not the version that I made, or it's not the version I wanted. And I'm not gonna say he's right or wrong or anything like that. But when you look at the trailer and the way the trailers cut, I've never seen such. Um, I, I don't know if there's another example of there being such a distance between the quality of a trailer versus the quality of the movie. Like the quality of the suicide squad trailer is amazing. It's, it looks like it's going to be the greatest movie you've ever seen. Then the movie itself sucked. And there's this really weird disconnect and, and he, but he even is the one who said like, who knows, maybe my version will get released one day. And you're just kind of like, David, please like, let's yeah let it lie. You know, I know it, it you, sometimes you just got to take that, loss and and just say it is what it is but yeah it's yeah i I don't know i mean like the whole dc marvel thing that's been they've been in competition with each other since what the 20s 30s when the comics came out right like it's always been a thing between them and i and like i said before about like competition like it's healthy having both of them do really well um because it pushes the other because like look at what marvel has been doing because they've been such a runaway success they don't care about quality anymore no offense marvel fans Mm -hmm. but they just don't like this last year if you look at the marvel products that have come out they've all been fairly mediocre none of them have really made a huge impact um, in in like pop culture like in discussion either and to me that just says a lot because they've ran away with the competition nobody was biting at their heels to force them to do something interesting or unique um, and that's why you need dc to do well because like you want the two of them to push the other to make 
really, really great films or really, really great TV shows. Um, and without one, when someone just runs away with it, you get what Marvel's year has been, which is really lukewarm nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the whole positive, one of the, one of the positive aspects of this DC shakeup does seem to be that they are fine with uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman series yes. kind of continuing and being its own thing that they don't plan of connecting it with the lo- with a larger universe at all. Yeah. Uh, and Todd whatever Phillips your Joker thoughts well. are yeah, uh, on, on Todd Phillips and the Joker and Joaquin Phoenix's performance, they're also keeping that its own thing and not connecting it to anything. Despite, I think people, fans of DC have been wanting the Batman to sort of then get its own world and somehow be connected to everything. And, and I think they're, they're being smart being like, no, no, for now, it's its own thing. We're not going to worry about connecting it. Yes, it might get some spinoffs and stuff like that, but that is still contained with its own universe and doesn't connect with the rest of the stuff. It's not connected to Aquaman. It's not connected to the Justice League, all that sort of stuff. I'm also just sick of everything needing a connection. We don't need everything to be connected anymore. Like I've seen people, yeah. um, what did they call it? Like the Wes Anderson cinematic universe. I'm like, no, it's just a director with all his movies. And yes, he, yeah. he works with a lot of the same people, but it's not, it, we don't need to connect every, this is the thing with Marvel again. Like they have made it so it seems like you need to connect everything, that everything needs to, you got to watch that TV show and that movie to get this, to get that. But then what ends up happening is to, in my opinion, what Marvel ended up doing was like creating commercials for their next thing. And then mm-hmm. like a movie was basically a commercial for the next movie. And then the TV show is a commercial for the next movie or the next show. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy for DC to just let it lie and just say, we can have these individual standalone things um, and have them exist in their own worlds because that's how we've been doing movies for a very long time. So there's, it's fine. It's absolutely fine to do, but I love the Batman, so I'm re- and I love Robert Pattinson is as the Batman too. Um, so I'm really, really happy they kept that because I I wasn't when they announced all these changes. I was like, there's no way they get rid of Pattinson, do they? But then when they said like Henry Cavill's not coming back, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm like oh dear, <laughs> maybe Pattinson's not as safe as I thought he was. Um, but thankfully he's he's still there. So I'm I'm really looking forward to what they do with that because that one would have really sucked because that one showed Batman before he really becomes the Batman and the Bruce Wayne that we know. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, there was a bit of disconnect when they watched that movie. They were like, but he doesn't seem like Bruce Wayne. It's like, that's kind of the point is like, we're going to see him develop into Bruce Wayne and into Batman. So it would have really sucked if they just ended it with this movie and we never got to see the progress. Yeah. I, I think for the most part, you look at what has been kept and the stuff that has been kept has all been very well received, mm-hmm. not just monetarily, but like actually in the film discourse community has been well reviewed. And, you know, the Batman was, you know, one of the, the, the best reviewed superhero movies ever. I would say, uh, Aquaman has constantly been told that it's probably the funniest and most consistent of all the DC films going, uh, the Suicide Squad, which obviously James Gunn is not going to kill his own baby, uh, had a very successful movie and a very successful spinoff show. And both of those look to be set up for success. Uh, word is that they're going to keep Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn because that has also done quite well as far as reviews go. It's not So it seems like they're taking things, not just money into consideration, which I sort of appreciate. 
Yes and no, I would say to that. Just again, like the Henry Cavill, the Gal Gadot thing, like I actually think those guys are pretty good at their roles and what they do. And um, yes, but the Wonder movies Woman, haven't been great though. Yeah. Like the first Wonder Woman was really good, but the second one was so terrible, despite the fact that uh, Patty Jenkins had something like two years to edit the movie and she yeah. kept it as confusing and as big of a mess as it was. Like she had access to that movie to edit. I get that, but. You know, I I don't know. To me, it's just like it's it's one bad movie. It, I I don't I don't know if I would say it's it's t- terrible. Like I, it's not good. Like I I didn't really like it, but there are some people who enjoyed it. But it's to me, it's just like you can't just say because one didn't do well, you cut the whole franchise like that, like that. Because you have to look at it a bit more holistically of saying Gal Gadot as a as an actress is somewhat limited at times. I think we can agree with that. Um, but her in the wonder woman role, I think has been quite good. Like I actually think they, they have formed the role around her to suit her skills and her abilities. And so it's, to me, it's not just saying, Oh, is, is the second movie sh- was shit and it didn't do well. And, and this and that it's like, you can't, I, I don't know to me, like that's, that's not a good enough reason because uh, let's, let's point to Marvel. Like, Thor 2 sucked. Thor 2 was like yeah. probably one of the worst movies Marvel has ever put out. And yet they got a three and a four. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of have to give sometimes a shot because not every movie is going to land. That's just you. If you're expecting every single movie in your franchise to land and to do really well critically and commercially, um, you would be left with a lot of like lopped off franchises because not every single movie is going to do well. Like you're not always going to get a, like a banger every single time i can't think i'm trying to think of a franchise oh like planet of the apes that's my favorite they've done those all three of those are really good but it just doesn't happen that often so to me i don't know i i get what you mean though by like they are picking and choosing but i i still think the idea not to bring back cavill not to bring back gal gadot i, I find though that those two decisions in particular kind of baffle me a little bit as to why they weren't able to to finish off their arcs at least. And if you are going to do a, a refresh, then do a, a straight refresh of everybody. Um, so to me, the picking and choosing is, it's a bit of an odd thing. Cause I, I wonder just how are they deciding that? Because you have two quite good fan favorites and they're not coming back. Um, so I, I don't really understand that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think we should move on because we I think we spent a lot of time on this topic. Um, one of the last things we want to talk about is the Don't Worry Darling drama. And, you know, I, I prefaced it earlier about why we're, we're including this when it seems so gossipy. Because, yes, it is. But on the other hand, it actually related to an actual movie and its release and how word of mouth might work uh, in, in the present day of <laughs> – social media hot takes and things like that. So it's just something you have to consider. I'm going to link to uh, to a timeline in the show notes, and it's way too much to kind of go over in detail, but like, wow, was there so much going on? <laughs> like, did you read through the article that I sent you? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I, I will say I was following along with great curiosity the whole time because to me it was just, I don't know, it's like, and, and it's funny, we talked about, um, you know, older people, younger people using social media. Olivia Wilde was very clearly someone who showed she does not know how to use the media very well. Yes. Um, and she misjudged everything that she put out there thinking that she could capitalize on, you know, my, one of my favorite things was her doing, I think it was a Harper's Bazaar um, 
profile and talking about how like no men orgasm in my movie like and and kind of like it was this big like feminist point she was trying to make and like only females orgasm in my movie and then if you've seen the movie you can understand how misguided and how inappropriate of a thing to praise in your film (laughs) that like that point alone like according to the story she put out there but then on top of that, then when a bunch of people were criticizing the film for, um, I think, being overtly sexual and like it was all about the sex scenes between Harry Styles and Florence Pugh, then she comes out later and says, well, people are just focusing on the sex too much. Yeah. Like, well, Olivia, you kind of pointed yeah. people to that. Um, but yeah, a whole bunch of it was just, you know, it never it was never going to be that the movie would be more interesting than all the behind the scenes nonsense that happened. And there was just so much random stuff that was going on and, you know, feuds and, you know, just funny social media back and forth, like really passive aggressive social media things happening between the cast and, and the um, director. And and then, of course, you watch the movie and the movie is not nearly as interesting as what the behind the scenes is. is and. It's just, and the funny thing is, is the two best things about that movie are, in my opinion, Florence, Florence Pugh, of course, but also Olivia Wilde is a good director, and you can clearly see that in the movie. But she just kept shooting her like herself in the foot through the entire promotional aspect of this movie. Um, that it really made me laugh because I've never really felt anything strongly about Olivia Wilde. Now I do. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because like I was a huge fan of Booksmart and I know a lot of people sort of feel similarly about that. It's kind of like a, a film Twitter adored movie sort of thing. And yeah. I know other people are, are a little more lukewarm on it. I know, I know you, I think if I could speak for you, you liked it, but you didn't love it. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but like it was generally regarded as a good movie, uh, depending on your, your thoughts on coming of age films and, and, and all that sort of stuff. It didn't exactly break the mold by any means, but like, it was nice to kind of see a coming of age movie about two young girls and one of them being a, a queer woman and things like that. And so it's just sort of a, you know, a, a breath of fresh air considering the types of movies we get of these similar types of stories. All it had to do was say, Oh, Hey, Olivia Wilde, the person that did uh, Booksmart, a movie most of you like, is coming out with a new movie. movie. Cool. That sounds interesting. I'm probably going to check it out. And then it would you will watch it and you'd be like, oh, you know what? Like, I I, I kind of dug the idea. The concept was interesting. Florence Pugh, always great. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really stick the landing and it's a little confusing and muddled at times, but whatever. You know, it would be forgotten about. And then when she comes out with her next movie, whatever. But instead, now it becomes this case study of. <laughs> how to not promote a movie, how to <laughs> rein in egos, how like, like all this sort of nonsense of like professionalism ethics, all this sort of stuff that has come out, you know, the, the affair between uh, Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles, did that break up the Jason Sudeikis, Olivia Wilde marriage? Uh, was there fighting going on between Florence and Olivia? Was the cast even talking to each other? The Shia LaBeouf drama of, was he mm. fired? Was, did he walk away? Like, why is he even still getting parts considering what an abusive piece of shit he is? All this sort of stuff that's going on. And you're just like, none of this was necessary at all. <laughs> I, the Shia LaBeouf thing is funny to me because he's such a villain on Twitter as well. Like on social media, people really don't like him. But for the first time, people are like, you're seriously going to make me defend Shia LaBeouf right now. Like I'm <laughs> on his side of all people. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's 
it was such a mess. And you're right. Like it, this would have been a movie that people just would have forgotten about eventually. And like, we just talked about letting, you know, you have to make room for failure in film like that. It's just, it's impossible. Not every director is going to have a flawless, you know, filmography. And um, that is just, it's very rare for that to happen. So for Olivia Wilde to have one movie that kind of goes, eh, it's like, it's not great. It's fine. She would have gotten another shot. Like she's, I think mm-hmm. she's a big enough um, star in her own right. But also I think Booksmart gave her, uh, enough credibility that it's like it's okay if one movie because it's not it's not a complete disaster either i think that some people muddled it to say it was a, it was a disaster i don't think it was but it, like it, it's you, there's enough good in there that you would say she's obviously going to get another shot and she, and it could have just been that but it, it just kept rolling into and the fun the funniest thing is just because it was her doing it like it was her just not stop like she kept talking Showing yourself on her foot nonstop. Nonstop. And you're just like, Olivia, stop talking. Like, stop granting interviews. Stop doing all of this. Stop pointing fingers and, and blaming this, that, and the other. Just just accept the fact that the movie didn't turn out as great as you had wanted it to, or maybe as great as you had thought it was. Um, or just even not even just great. Like, it, audiences didn't connect with it in the way that you had hoped. That's fine. That happens to 90% of the movies out there but she just kept going. It's like, Olivia, you got to stop lady. Like this is, it's not, it's, and then yeah, I, I hated, like one of the things that I didn't like was a lot of people coming to defend her and saying like, well, you wouldn't be this rough on, on a male director. It's like, no, you would have. But the thing is though, a male director would a hundred percent get another shot at this. And I was like, don't yeah. make this some feminist thing because Olivia Wilde will get another shot at this. Like that, that's, it's, she absolutely will. And so I, I just kind of, there was a lot of stuff going on with this story, which is why I was kind of happy. Cause I, like you said, we don't normally for this episode, you don't normally like want to pick out the, the gossipy stuff. And so when I saw, don't worry, darling, I was like, Ooh, slightly <laughs> gossipy, but it's, it, there was just a lot going on, like a lot going on. And um, one of the funnier slash tragic things to happen in movies this year was definitely that one. Yeah. And like, I think compound it with all the Olivia Wilde not being able to to shut the hell up was also people got really sick of Harry Styles this year. The fact that like, <laughs> he was just on the radio so much and I like his music. I I, I think he's quite talented. Um, I, I now turn the station when I, I hear his, his music come on because I am tired of it as well. And, the, and that sort of takes a lot for me to do. And it was just sort of this, you know, breathlessly awaiting his, his, his big lead role because he was in 197, no Dunkirk, sorry. He was Dunkirk. in Dunkirk, very small part. And he was fine in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you couldn't really judge his performance in that movie because he has like two lines. And he's in the background for like 10 minutes and that's it. That's all you see of him. And so it was like between this and my policeman, it was just like, Oh my God, everyone's talking about him. He had a hit album yeah. out and all this sort of stuff. And he was also, I feel like causing a lot of drama for himself as well. Was and he? it's just like, well, I, I just think of like, you know, the, the, the spitting thing with Chris oh. Pine and, <laughs> and like people talk it, like it was, it, it, I feel like it was, uh, he was more of a byproduct that just mm. ended up being the focal point of a lot of people's hate. Um, because pe- people, 
love to sort of take down someone when they're at the top yeah. and, and you know it's just it's just the nature of of everything especially when it's a pop star you know you can you can go back the past 30 40 years and anytime there's like a pop star that's on top of the game everyone wants to be like well you know you know they're, they're not actually that great and it's just yeah. like well it's fine you don't have to like them you, who cares just shut up like not everything <laughs> is for you like that's that's my biggest thing is like just shut up not everything's for you <laughs> um but yeah if if the biggest issue with don't worry darling was the script if we're talking about it purely from a movie making standpoint because as you talked about Florence Pugh was great mm-hmm. Chris Pine you know brought a good energy even if his character was was pretty blah uh Olivia Wilde clearly is a very talented director her her staging and eye for for setups is great the production design on this movie looked absolutely fantastic like all the technical aspects of this the, the costumes the music the 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 set design all that stuff looked really good Harry Styles was whatever. You can chalk it up to uh, someone who's not traditionally an actor doing an acting performance, and he was fine. He was passable. He wasn't the worst thing ever, as some people claimed he was. Could have been cast better, sure, but it's not like it, he ruined the movie. But the problem was that the the story wasn't great, and that's about it. Yeah, it, it there's a um um we were talking about like director's cuts there's uh, you can find the actual script like the original script for this because they adapted it i think i can't remember what story is i think is olivia wilde her production team bought the script and then they changed the ending so there's actually the, the original story has a completely different ending um to the what it is and it's it's quite um um it's quite something i'll just say that <laughs> go find it if you want it but there's certain lines like it's kind of funny to think that it would have been harry styles in that um but yeah it, it definitely the original one goes in a, in a completely different way and one that is quite inter- not completely it's like it's, it does retain elements of what olivia wilde ended up doing um but there is it, there is a different ending for anybody interested and you can find that online somewhere um but the p- thing with the script is there was one storyline in there that I thought was really interesting, which was uh, Kiki Lane's story. And she is the one who, uh, what was her role? She basically was the first one to like, she, she killed herself. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert for this movie. Um, she's the one who like is the, is the one to make um, Florence Pugh's character start to see cracks in, in what was going on in their little bubble. Um, and, her character is given very, very little time and like, there's not much going on there, but it was, it's probably the more interesting role. And the the rumor was, was that Kiki Lane's stuff, she actually filmed a lot more and there was more to her story, but it ended up getting cut. And a lot of people say in favor of Olivia Wilde's character, getting a bit more screen time, um, do with that what you will. But I think that there was a missed opportunity there for that character. I think the character's name was Margaret. Um, for that for that character to shine a little bit more because i think it could have been you could have introduced something really interesting there so it's just a bit of a shame i don't know it's um but again like so many movies don't come together and this is just one of those that maybe they tinkered around with the original script a little bit too much and um like you said at the top of this one um it's it's about ego as well and olivia wilde certainly i think has shown that she has a healthy ego and this movie was definitely something that kind of pampered to that yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. And then uh, sort of the last thing I want to touch on is the top 10 highest grossing movies of the year. I'll quickly sort of run through them, their, the names and, and roughly how much they made. So number one, Top Gun Maverick with $718 million. 
Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, 439 million. Number three, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, 411 million. Number four, Avatar The Way of Water, 446 million. Interesting. I don't know why that is afterwards. Um, I'm pulling these numbers from Box Office Mojo. Uh, number five, Jurassic World Dominion, 376 million. Minions The Rise of Gru at number six with 369 million. Number seven, The Batman, just below that with 369 million as well. Eight, Thor, Lauren, Love and Thunder. 343 million nine spider-man no way home 804 million i guess that's the total gross uh not necessarily the yearly gross and number 10 sonic the hedgehog 2 at 190 million uh so yeah these numbers aren't aren't quite perfect but the the order is correct uh obviously the big thing that stands out is we've got one two three four five of the ten movies are superhero movies which is no shock in this day and age uh not a single movie here is an original it is all they're all sequels as well which except for the batman which is based on pre-existing uh franchises as well so that would be the closest thing to an original since it was the first in this new reboot but yeah what are uh what are your thoughts on on this top 10 not surprising i suppose um you know, and, and it, it's interesting, like, if you look at the worldwide box office, like, three of those movies hit the billion mark as well. So it's Top Gun, Avatar, Jurassic World. They all went over a billion worldwide, which is, I think, really encouraging for, you know, the cinema industry in general, because there was a lot of talk posts, even before pandemic, actually, about, like, oh, cinema's dying and things like that. And um, this year, there were a lot of movies that kind of, really begged not begged audiences to come back but they've really encouraged audiences to come they gave audiences a reason to go and pay for a ticket because movie tickets are quite expensive so it made people's like for top gun maverick how like people went so many times to go watch top gun maverick avatar has just been smashing it right now and and doing very very well uh jurassic world i don't even want to talk talk about that one i I don't know why people want to go watch that but you know it's in even movies like nope like it, it didn't hit the top 10 or anything like that but there was a lot of spectacle this year, which I think is, was really interesting. And, and Jordan Peele talked about, and I know Tom Cruise has talked about it too, which was um, their intention to make these movies uh, for Jordan Peele in particular. He said that when he made Nope, he conceived of the idea during the pandemic. And part of what he had in mind was bringing people back to the cinema, like creating such a spectacle, you know, a movie so, so wide in scope that people would be like, I have to go watch it in IMAX. I have to go watch it in a really big screen. Um, And obviously Tom Cruise very famously held back um, releasing Top Gun from, I think it was 2020. That should have been the year it was supposed to come out. And Paramount was like begging him to put it, to let them put it onto um, their (laughs) streaming service. And he's like, Nope, we're not doing that. Uh, and ends up being a really good call because this is his shockingly his first billion dollar movie, which I find incredible that it took Tom Cruise this long to get a billion dollar movie. But yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. Like, I think it's this idea of showing people are willing to go back to the theater. Maybe it is for the just the big stuff, but you got to give them a reason to go. And um, whether that is it, it's typically through quite stunning visuals, really. But I think Top Gun Maverick. That to me was the news story of the year was that it created such hype amongst not just quote unquote film Twitter, but 
everybody, everyone I knew went to watch it. They loved it. Like people who aren't really into movies, they went to go watch Top Gun and they were obsessed with it. And it didn't matter who you were too. Cause I know Top Gun typically is seen as like a boy thing from um, back in the eighties. It just didn't matter. You could be young, old, you know, guy, girl, neither. Um, and you would love it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that was, it was such an event this year that it, it made me quite happy to see like, one movie even if it's a sequel blah 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 blah, like whatever um it made me happy to see like people going back out and and excited to go back out to to go watch a movie yeah i i absolutely agree it was it was one of the most fun experiences i had in movie theaters this year uh it's terrific truly it truly is and like i know it seems like everyone's like top gun maverick can't be that good and then they'll watch it like you know what no it was that good it was, so and I actually felt the exact same way. I've yeah. I don't know if I if I've told the story on the podcast or not, but I've said it a few times. Where I had zero interest in this movie whatsoever. I had never <laughs> seen the original Top Gun, did not care at all. And I was sitting at home and and talking with my wife, and uh, we're like, "Hey, you want to go to the movie tomorrow?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you want to see Top Gun Maverick?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess so." And <laughs> and I had never seen Top Gun, and she had seen it before. So like, let's let's just watch the first Top Gun today. And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So we did that. I was like, eh, it's fine. I, I don't really like it that much. It's very cheesy. It's whatever. Uh, and so we uh, went and saw Top Gun Maverick the next day, and it uh, was incredible. It's going to make my top 10 of the year list. It is so, so good. It's, very, it's a very feel-good movie, isn't it? It's just it's just fun. Like, it's just really, really good fun. And I, I, I don't – you haven't seen Avatar still, have you? No, not yet. So Avatar, a lot of people have been asking, like, should I go watch it? Is it worth it? And in my opinion, yes, it is. Even though the story sucks, even though the dialogue is atrocious, go watch it because there's something really interesting in Avatar, just in the visuals and the the technical side of things of what James Cameron was able to do. But I always like when, so when somebody asks me about like Avatar, I always have to like preface that. I have to be like, it is worth it. However, know that this thing sucks about it, but this kind of outweighs the thing that sucks. But I do have to make that caveat. You know, with Top Gun Maverick, one, I don't think I've ever really had to make any recommendations for that. But if somebody were to ask me, is it worth to watch? I'd be like, yes, just go watch it. Like, I don't I don't need to to caveat anything about Top Gun Maverick. It's just like, just go watch it in a movie theater because it's really good. It's really fun. Um, and I, again, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have a good time with that movie. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. Um, and, and nice to see the Batman uh, do so well. Yeah. Despite the fact that it is not uh, an original IP, it is the first in the franchise. And considering everything else is a sequel, it was it's nice to see that it cracked the top 10 too. Yeah. I, I mean, you. I think you and I are both very big Batman people, just generally mm-hmm. speaking. So yeah, it's nice that it did so well. And, um, and also, it was a different type of Batman. It was long too. Again, it was a year of very yeah. long movies. Like all these movies are quite lengthy and not all of them. I shouldn't say all of them, but like they're, they're fairly, you know, even Spider-Man No Way Home. I feel like that one was yeah longer than a, like a typical, well, actually no Marvel movies can be kind, kind of long depending on what it is. Do you have any sort of last uh, thoughts on the, the movie year of 2022 as far as newsworthy stories goes? I think we've covered it all. It's been a very eventful year in film as per the usual. I'm kind of glad that now, even though I've brought it up a few times, like I'm glad that the narrative of like return to movies is starting to go by the wayside now because we are back. And yes. um, So that, that's nice that we've kind of moved on from it because that also means that um, the world has kind of gotten a little bit better, hopefully. 
fingers crossed. I shouldn't say that. I'm going to jinx it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice. And I mean, as much as I enjoy that people are coming back, it would be nice to see, you know, the middle tier of films kind of make a resurgence and, and come back. But um, I'm glad at least horror is finding a new, finding new audiences and, and new filmmakers coming through. So that, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Yeah. I think that sort of wraps up our episode. You know, we're going to transition into doing more Oscar stuff as uh, Oscar season kind of approaches. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll probably after that do a, a movie preview list once we have a, a better idea of what is actually coming out in 2022. We, of course, have our best movies of the year list coming out. Um, I helped contribute to that shelf's uh movies of the year list i submitted my top 10 as it was at the time of submission which obviously <laughs> is probably going to change a little bit but i'll link to that in the show notes in case people want to check that out uh but yeah this wraps up our show rachel where can people find you and what are you working on um i will say i i missed the deadline for the that shelf article <laughs> i kind of forgot about it and so i didn't get to submit anything for it um what am I working on? I'll say that the um, for the Asian cut, we just posted an interview today with Andrew Fung for Run the Burbs. Um, Karen Tran wrote a really, really great piece um, um, about kind of not, I just want to say diversity because I feel like that that sounds boring, but like a really interesting piece on how that movie's made and kind of the pressure that the showrunners feel like they're under. Um, to be authentic in their, in, in their portrayals. So um, yeah, go check that out. In terms of me, you can find me rachelkh.com uh, and underscore rachelkh on Twitter as well. You also have, uh, I know it's been a couple weeks now, but uh, several reviews from Whistler Film Festival up on the Asian Cut as well. Oh, yeah. There, there's that. Uh, we, we took a little bit of a break during um, uh, Christmas time. But yeah, there's uh, always go check out the Asian Cut. We're always hoping to like fill it with more stuff. And we got some... We have our top 10 coming out soon and uh, there's going to be an interview with the director of Leonor uh, will never dies, um, which is a really great Filipino movie for anybody who's watched it. A lot of people really love it. So yeah, we got an interview coming out with that with Alicia Mughal, who friend of the show. She's, she's yes. I know. I know Jeff Ballmer will be very excited about yeah. that interview because he loved that movie at TIFF. Yeah. It's, there's such a strong fan base for that movie. Like, like people, I watched it and I, I didn't particularly connect with it in the same way that a lot of people, other people have. Um, but Alicia loved it. Uh, and yeah, I'm, and it made, when we did the exclaim top 10, um, or not top 10, we, we asked different writers for like their 10 favorite movies. Alicia actually included it in her top 10. So, um, it's definitely quirky, but if you're quirky, I think you'll like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was recently a guest on the Technically a Conversation podcast where host Jose Gomez wrote a teleplay about a Christmas seance and I got to do a bit of voice acting on that, which was a <laughs> lot of fun. So if you want a spooky and funny little podcast to check out, listen to the episode that will be found in the show notes. Uh, oh. As mentioned, I was involved with uh, that shelf's top 10 list and I also participated in Bill Anthony U's, uh Criterion shelf where I wrote about House of Flying Daggers, which was uh, a lot of fun to be able to participate in an article that I greatly admire and respect. Uh, and House of Flying Daggers is an excellent movie. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> uh, but you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And let us know what you thought was the biggest news story of the year for you. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. 
Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you like listening to the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. And thank you to that chef.